When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3 p.m. kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. Today we'll be looking back at Fulham's 1-0 defeat to Manchester United after a 91st minute winner by Bruno Fernandes. Fulham no doubt bossed the match. We had more of the territory, we had more of the play, we had the better tackles, we had the better chances. But ultimately, the story is the same as all three games last year. Dominance, but defeat. Here to dissect everything that happened yesterday, including the Fulham Supporters Trust and Fulham Lilies ticket price protest, is Farrell Monk. Hello. Good morning, Sammy. Good morning, everyone. Dom Betts is back and it's put a smile on my face. Hello, Dom. Hello, boys. And Cameron Ramsey. Hello. Good morning, fellas. We've all decided to wear black tops today and uh, we were joking beforehand that we look a little bit like the Holmesdale Fanatics or any other generic ultras from uh, across Europe. But um, who's the ringleader out of us four? Who's the one with the megaphone? Cam. There's no way I'm being (laughs) caught up in that kind of muck, mate. (laughs) To be fair, he doesn't need a megaphone. He's got a boomy voice to start off with anyway. You do have a boomy voice. We don't want to be the Arsenal fans, do we? No, it can't be me because I'd have to stay for the entirety of the first half. Though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, my first thought was Don, but actually, you raise a good point. We can't be like be missing what the megaphone man from thirty minutes to sixty minutes. It was just uh, and, and not there for the first five either. No, I actually usually make kickoff. I just tend to go for a beer at thirty-five or thirty, depending how bad we're playing. Don just stands in concourse areas to greet people as they come down from a shit first half. <laughs> yeah, he's the first one there. Like, all yeah. right. I've been here for 20 minutes. Like, he's, like the, he's like the maitre d' or something like that, just coming down there. Like, <laughs> you said, wonderful. Fulham's maitre d'. It's like, like Jack Grealish video from the, England ca- from the England camp where he's like, hello, fancy seeing you here. Yeah, yeah like geezer. Just, just a little bit more geezer about it, really. Maybe. Um, Farrell, what were the best three-word views that came in from, or the worst three-word views that came in from, from yesterday's uh, game? A lot of them are pretty much covered in your in your intro, but uh, we had Rick Cardis's bossed, then lost. MKB's um, Iwobi Nutmeg master, Masterclass. I mean, there were so many of them. It was like seeing Luis Suarez back on the pitch again. 
Lars Anderson's United against ticket prices. Hang on, hang uh, on, hang London on, hang on. I mean, I'm 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 all for the the state sentiment of Lars is there, but surely that literally was just four words. <laughs> Well, that's true. That is true. But I'm going to allow it because it's <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm not one. I don't want to be too much of a stickler, but that I'm like trying to work out how he made three out of that. <laughs> uh, it's because he didn't put a space in between ticket and prices. But to be honest, I couldn't give a shit about gra- grammatical uh, stuff to, <laughs> to do with anything. I'm just going to allow it <laughs> Who just needs because spaces? I want to. <laughs> Who needs spaces? I can read it. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, uh, where was I? Londinium calling Deja Manu in response to it. All yeah, those other times good. that we've played Manu recently. And speaking about Deja Vu's, uh, we've got Sam Burdett's checkmate for Bishop because, you know, our favourite supporter, whoever he is, is was back yesterday. Before we look at the protest, let's look at the game yesterday. And uh, Dom, I, I honestly think that over the 95 or six minutes, whatever there was in the end, that Fulham were by far the better team, but we just seem to get caught in moments by this Manchester United side. And it's just, I mean, it's just a rinse and repeat of all three games last year. Yeah, so I was saying in the pub after the game, I was like, well, that went exactly how I was expecting it, expecting it to go, <laughs> considering what happened in the, in the three games last season. But yeah, I want, I don't necessarily think we made, we were like dominant and I just think it was a nil-nil game that, United got a goal from like I don't I think Fulham as you said were good in moments but we just I don't think really we any of our any of the chances we had you like, oh we should score that maybe Polini can put it either side of an honor but to be I think we were getting the ball in good areas especially in that sort of 15-20 minute spell in the second half but I just think both teams lacked any form of a cutting edge really and I think the game really deserved to be a nil-nil when it was a it was, and then it was a strike where, you know, as you said, Fulham just getting mixed up at the back, which happened multiple times. It wasn't like there were there were signs of it in, in the first half that it, we were playing the ball at the back. But there were certain times where I was like, just get the ball either into the midfield or get it, or maybe get one of the fullbacks sort of running on and playing it over the Manchester United sort of wide players. But yeah, I think it was a game. I don't. Th- I think we thought it was actually a game of little quality. To be fair, in regard to as I said, the, the finishing. And then, yeah, I said it's just a mix. Because a goal, really, we had, what, probably three chances to get rid of that before Bruno Fernandes uh, turns his man and puts it into the bottom corner. So, yeah, I guess because we maybe had the better chances and, you know, especially in that second half, a bit more of the ball. But I just think both teams were quite poor and May United just caught and ended up getting, then, you know, the quality that Bruno Fernandes actually does have, which he doesn't, you know, he doesn't show a lot of the time, especially this season, gave him the victory. But I so said, I thought it was a, and a fairly even game with both teams not really showing much. Cam, um, the big, well, I don't know if it was a surprise, but certainly it was a statement um, in the lineup was Rodrigo Muniz up front. Um, you had Alex Awobi dropping back into the midfields. Um, see, there was kind of lots of changes from Ipswich and, and, and Brighton. It was kind of hard to tell whether there were lots of changes, but certainly that Muniz up front was the statement. And, Obviously, he was devastated to go off injured, and we really hope that's not too serious for Rodrigo Muniz because what that must be gutting for him after what was a decent-ish stint up front. It didn't pull up any trees, but I don't know. The crowd just loves him, and I, and I think in time, if he did get a run of, in the team, which now might be under threat again, um, I, I just think I think he's the best option up there now. Yeah, I totally agree with that as well. I mean, it's it's not nice to see a player that is obviously trying so hard to make an impact at a club um, trudge off the pitch in floods of tears because he had invested everything he possibly could do into that game. 
up against two fairly physical centre halves as well. Not the best technical players, but they know how to look after a centre forward and they know how to contain them. And actually, especially after such a great performance from him against Ipswich midweek, where it was a proper striker's finish as well, um, getting on the end of Andres Pereira's uh, neat little ball across the uh, across the eighteen, he deserved a start. And uh, I think we all agreed that before the game even started, the striker that would score next, the striker that would get themselves on the score sheet next would guarantee themselves a start anyway against Man United. Um, and he offered us so much midweek. His hold-up play is definitely developing. He looks like somebody that trusts their ability and their physicality, um, regardless of who they actually come up against. Um, <laughs> but the really, really disconcerting thing for me is, um, if, and we keep going over this, we've got Rodrigo Muniz starting in the Premier League. And as well as he's doing at the moment, he might well be going through a good spell in his career as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. But are we really, really hedging our bets on him? You know, even when we shoved two up top, we went back to a 4-4-4 in two, didn't we? With Vinny and Raul coming on at the end. We had nothing, no teeth, no firepower whatsoever. And I just think it's a... I just think it's it's not to Rodrigo's de- detriment yesterday that we didn't actually really forge any proper clear-cut scoring opportunities because it's proven this season that a lone striker in this system, regardless of who they are, is just it just isn't capable of doing a job in the top flight. But yeah, I, I really hope that he comes back stronger. I hope that it isn't a long-term injury. Um, he obviously wants to make an impact at this club. He, I think, he has an affinity, a good affinity with the fan base as as we do too. Um, so all you can hope for is that he comes back firing, hungrier than ever. Um, and actually, I think it's, uh, it's it's got to be a bit of a shot in the arm for the boys around him as well to think, actually, he's out of contention now. What have we got to do to really make a stamp on things? You know, even Raul, Vinicius, when they came on yesterday, Muniz's performance shadowed Lairs big time. Yeah. He just offered us so much more. And... I still think in January, now that obviously Silver's committed, we're going to be going into the transfer window and hopefully spending a bit of money on a striker, whoever it may well be. And it may well be at a premium price as well. But for the time being, we've just got to suck it up and we've just got to trust the players that we've got. Muniz just looks like that player that's going to be getting the nod week in, week out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm all for it, assuming he comes back from this injury. I mean, he's got, there's, there's one more game, then a two-week break, and we'll see how serious it is. It could just be a knock, or it could be, obviously, and we pray not, something more serious. Um, Farrell, United did appear to take the lead in this game, and I was livid from the Hammersmith end, because I saw it flipping coming, because Muniz was marking two players at the back post, and he was screaming at someone to come and cover for him, and just no one listened. Everyone was like, shut up, Rodrigo. Um, stop moaning. <laughs> um, he's, he's there literally marking two players. Anyway, as obvious as it looked from the stands, it ended up being a goal. Then we had one of those VAR weights. I don't feel like we've had loads of since... Um, coming back into the top flight with fans. We had a lot of it in the season without fans where finally a a kind of VAR goal got chalked off for a marginal decision in our favour. And um, it was enjoyable. Probably the most enjoyable moment of the match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, it was such a strange one because obviously from my point of view where I was, it, it was unclear about who the offside call was going to be against really. But then I managed to get like the the stream up on my phone to sort of see what they were discussing over the VAR. 
And it was very clear that they sort of saw the offside call, but it wasn't on, I think it was Garnacho who who crossed the ball across instead of Maguire, I think, that they actually called the offside for. But then VAR clocked it as offside. And then one of the weirdest moments was obviously with offside calls, it's sort of, it's a subjective call. And yet the referee starts running over to the screen and there was real confusion about everyone certainly around around me, around whether it, you know, why were they going over to the screen for it? But, you know, it's one of those ones that we did get quite lucky with because I can imagine in so many other situations, they probably wouldn't have called it because, well, Maguire didn't touch it, so therefore it's, it's, it's not offside. But as we've seen with the rules, it's, you know, if they're making a genuine attempt to get the ball, that it should be called offside. Or if they're influencing play by going towards it, then yes, they should be called offside which obviously didn't go in our favour with Nathan Ake earlier, or uh, Akanji earlier this season. Thankfully, it went, it went our way, but obviously it, was, it didn't mean anything in the end. No, no. And uh, I think for the rest of the first half, Fulham kind of huffed and puffed, had a few chances, drew a few saves, but, but Dom, it was the second half really where Fulham's dominance came into it. And there were several, not just great chances in terms of like, yes, Polina is a great chance, but moments where we had an overload, a four on three. We worked into the box. I am a little bit bored of Fulham and it seemingly it happens more on the left than the right, but both sides are just as guilty of just getting into these amazing positions where we've worked it so neatly down one side, getting into the box nine times out of 10. I'm sorry to say it's Anthony Robinson. And you're just like, find a man. No, overhit cross. Nope. Or it just ends up being cleared by a defender. And I, I know that like cross percentages and and finding a man are generally low but like Fulham's does just seem to be I almost don't get excited now when we work into a good position in the box because I just kind of know what's going to happen it's going to fall to an opposition defender and it's going to get cleared yeah I always find this with Robinson he's either a two out of ten or an eight out of ten there's I don't really find there's like an in-between with him and he said he, he get he gets the ball in good areas but his his crossing most of the time is a two out of ten, and it's it's either over hit. Then there was that chance. Was it in the end of sort of midway through the first half where he had one cross which he somehow for some reason hit with his right foot that was over hit. Then then about a minute later had one with his left foot which completely over hit. But as and said, I, th- I thought I thought him and Williams combination play was was good. But it's just whenever Robinson was in a position to cross it into the box, it was either not getting not in the right area for someone to get on the end of it or completely to the other side of the box. So I think I think that is an issue I do have with Robinson that I'm not he's not necessarily squandering opportunities, but he just the decision making at the t- at the time he's he's going to either put it across in or cut it back just it just isn't there. And I'm not saying he needs to be dropped to I mean to bring Balatorin because because Balatorin has looked good but he's played against Ipswich and Norwich's reserves essentially. But I just think that he's I think Robinson the reason Robinson, I'm not saying get, I mean, I'll say gets away with it, but I, he's never really had a real challenge for his position when he when he when he's been in the squad. So I think if he did, let's say he did get dropped for the Villa game, and Balatore came. I'm not saying he should, but then it might just up Balatore and Robinson's game if they know they're both sort of in the competition for that place. Because I think he's a bit, I think he kind of knows that Silva's going to start him, and he's I, I just I don't know with Robinson. I just I, I've never been um, as big of a fan of him as, as sometimes I see other people be. 
Yeah. And, and Cam, it just feels like there's just so lit. As much as you can blame the likes of Robinson and those crossing the ball, there is just not very many options in the box. And you think, and quite often it feels like those chances end up then going to the edge of the box. And then someone like Willian's got to take a pot shot from distance, which is all well and good, but they don't go in that often by the very nature of the fact that they're far out. I feel like sometimes what we massively miss and what worked so well in the championship season was someone like a Carvalho making late runs into the box. Yes, okay, the striker, we we all know that if we had Mitrovic in this team, we'd be scoring more goals. But in that championship season as well, you had late runners into the box as well who would sometimes provide a different option if the striker was marked as they normally are. Yeah, no, I was, I was just about to, um, I was just about to come in and say that exactly. Um like I say, we put balls into decent areas. They're usually hacked clear by defenders, but you're completely right. There's no late runners and there's no real overload when we're trying to attack. It's almost like the boys behind the actual run of play, they just don't anticipate it at all. Um, and I think we could have benefited from somebody just perched on the edge of the 18 yesterday. Like I say, just to just to pick up any loose balls that came their way and just rifle them, in, rifle them goal bound. Because I still don't think we tested Onana enough yesterday. I still don't. I still think we could have benefited from having somebody there just to pick up loads of these balls and get shots on target on site instead of just um, mainly playing the ball from side to side when we actually get it back again. Go, on, Farrell. I was. I was just going to say. I think. I think we certainly tried to do that, but I have never seen so many wayward shots in one game from both yeah. teams. Um, Alex Wobi was was particularly guilty of it, and so was Willian. They were like not shots that sort of you know, they were were going to sort of just go wide. They, these were shots that were like so wayward, they ended up in sort of H1 and H2 a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, on, yeah. on paper, on paper, you would look at that game. There was 30 shots on goal in, uh, on that game from both teams. And there was only, I'm looking at the stats now, there's, Fulham only got three shots on target. And I think you're right in saying like, Fabio Carvalho would have been there quite a lot of the time to, to pick, pick that ball up and and you know get a good shot off in those sort of like tighter areas when it does drop at the edge of the box which you'd expect Pereira to do but yeah. he never does he's never there to to do that I thought Pereira was peripheral again yesterday I didn't really think that he influenced the game at all in an offensive sense I think, I think he's been poor all season to be yeah, honest he has been he has completely been and even um, for yeah. the latter half of last season I'd say he was poor as well the only problem now is that obviously Awobi, he actually played so well again, you know, up with Palinia yesterday as a double pivot in midfield. And he's naturally the other number 10 in our team as well. So we've just got selection conundrums that we need to sort out. But I think the crux of the um, debate here is it, it's just having poise in front of the target when we need it. And I don't think the lads really trust themselves when they get themselves into proper goal scoring situations. And it proved yesterday with the amount of you know hashed and, and shanked shots that we uh, that we kind of pr- propelled towards the target, but they were actually nowhere near. And with a player like Anana in goal, you don't even need to hit the ball very well. I mean, he's somebody I think that would have a gaff in him every couple of games. He just looks like looks like a keeper once again. That is just low confidence himself. And we didn't we didn't force the issue enough yesterday with him. Um, obviously, he pulled off a good save of Wilson with that kind of snapped half volley kind of weird shot. Um, which I thought, yeah, decent save. But other than that, it, it, it was all played in front of him. 
and we didn't really seem to have anybody trying to bust their gut to get beyond players and at least try to drill one across target or even just try to put balls in difficult areas where they could get deflections, goal bound from moving defenders. It just looked a little bit too tame for me. And it's up to the boys now to get themselves in the training field and <laughs> get heads down and, you know, get knees and knees over the ball as well and just really, really level them when they're in those goal scoring opportunities because we are lacking so much there. And it's gonna it's gonna pay uh, it's gonna pay detriment to us if we continue to miss these opportunities, even against poor Man United teams against any side, because all it takes and it proves yesterday that Man United, even as crap as they are at the moment, they only really need like a opportunity to stick it away, and they did. And uh, maybe we should start um, just playing wayward passes a bit more because that was actually how the best chance of the game came off was a crap pass. And uh, Hammersmith then went, oh, oh, wait, somehow Pellini is the wrong goal. How did that happen? Um, maybe not the player that you wanted there, Faz. As, as much as I love Jao Pellinia, Jao Pellinia only really knows one thing and it's a leather it. And it, that one needed a little bit of... Um, composure didn't it that that one needed a dink um really but it was it was the best opportunity we had and Jaupolinia is not a striker like uh, as good as he as good as a goal scoring midfielder as he is i mean the only other time that we've uh, had uh, a one of our players going through um on goal that we never expected them to do and has never done so was tom kearney in the play playoff final so maybe paulinia was trying to was trying to replicate that, being like, "Oh, I'm going to sneeze on that opportunity right here." But yeah, I mean, you'd ex- you, this is probably the problem that we we have at the moment is that, you know, one of the things that we've been quite good at, regardless of the fact of Mitrovic's goals in the past, is that we've spread the goals quite quite well across the squad. But when our striker's not firing and the rest of the team aren't really getting amongst the goals too much, um then we've got a big problem here. Um, and, you know, I don't want to dwell on the whole striker situation because we've we've done that to death week in, week, in, week out. But again, it's indicative that, you know, the, the person that the best chance fell to in, in open play 1v1 is our deep-lying centre midfielder um, through a wayward pass, as you say. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I, mean, I, think it's I those, prefer it's Rasmus those- Hoyland. I mean, honestly, the fact that Fulham have actually got nine goals in 11 games, yet only one of those goals has come from our actual striker, I think actually is quite impressive. It's a decent amount of goals from other areas of the pitch. It's actually not too bad. If you had a striker that even had like four or five goals, then we'd be on quite a good, like, even keel here. I mean, it's such a clear problem and... You know, I heard someone in Bishop's Park, it was a young kid, say to his dad, um, as we as we were walking back over Putney Bridge, he was like, if we had Mitrovic, we win that game. And like, it's the most basic analysis, Dom, but it's just the most true analysis. And like, it feels so simplistic to say it, but you're like, yeah, well, absolutely. Like Mitrovic yesterday would have gobbled up some of those chances. Yeah, and I think Cam, Cam, Cam said it, you know, the fact that we're sort of like praising and thinking Rodrigo Muna should be our star striker who couldn't get a start for Middlesbrough in the Championship last season. And I, th- and I think he has been good. I think he was good when he came on against Brighton. I think he was good against Ipswich. But I said, I think that's sort of the indicament of where we kind of are our striker situation. I think, and I, and I don't want it to be a situation where we're like, just go out on the 1st of January or 1st week of January and just get the striker. Don't, like, don't just keep Keep it, oh, we might better get a player towards the end of the window. Like, I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be coming on deadline day, because then that's two potential. If we get it done in the first week, that's two league games you can play in. 
um, and maybe and he's got the FA Cup games as well in that in that in that month. I think it's just get get it done early doors because it's quite I, it's quite obvious that's the missing piece in the team at the moment. I mean, you know, if you if, if, if you take away injuries, that is the only missing piece. As you said, we actually have got a goal has got goals from other areas, especially in the midfield area. You know, Pelina scored. Was it two goals? You've got you know William with scoring as well. So yeah, yeah so like. There, there, yeah, there are there are players who can score. It's just yeah, that striker position. You need any team who is either a, a team battling relegation, trying to stay up, or a team pushing top four, or pushing, all has that striker. If you look at, let's say you look at Arsenal last season, for example, if they had a if they had a twenty thirty goal season striker, they probably would have won the league. Mm-hmm. But the reason, but the reason they didn't is because they're relying on Eddie and Ketia and Gabriel Jesus. I think it's just quite common football knowledge you need a striker you can put the ball in the back of a net I think City when they won, won the league without one it's probably the only time a team's achieved any form of success without having sort of a, a key striker you know if you look at any team it's just that spiral team you need that goalkeeper you need that centre-back you need the whole midfielder and you need the striker and we just don't, we don't have the striker at the moment and yeah. I think it's as I said it, it has to be just start of January go and get one as opposed to right, let's let's leave it to the end of the month and try some someone on deadline day like we always seem to do. But according to Alistair McIntosh, we save a hundred grand by waiting till the very last minute of the uh, of the transfer window, which is much better for, much better for business. Yeah, but we probably wait. We we, we probably waste hundred grand every ten days paying Jimenez's contract. So I mean, yeah. what, <laughs> what does it really matter? We also lose two million pounds for every Premier League position that we uh, that we don't get. Yeah. So um, yeah, why yeah, why? Cheers, why yeah, good, good maths there, Ali. Um, let's just quickly look at um, the goal if we have to. And I think what I wanted to say, Cam, is that as much as, yes, okay, it was three poor clearances, we lost the momentum in this match, like from about 80 minutes onwards. And momentum is massive in football. And I felt like, and that maybe this is actually why eventually money talks and why United's 400 million pounds spending since last year and our basically nothing spending since last year tells sometimes when you bring bring players off the bench. But it just felt like we had a lot of momentum in the 60th, 70th minute. We made subs. We made a lot of subs. And I actually just thought that like not many of them massively helped the team. And there was a lot of people switching positions all the time. and. I'm not saying it directly causes the goal, but definitely Fulham, if there was one team that was going to win it, it was going to be Manchester United. Yeah, and Silver's subs in recent weeks have actually worked out for the better and they have actually changed games for us massively. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case on Saturday. We didn't make momentum pay. We didn't necessarily really step on the impetus that we had, like you say, towards the 70th minute onwards. Um already touched we need someone to stick the ball in the back of the net and we don't um but yeah you're right it was backs up against the wall for the last five minutes of the actual match itself you know they held much more uh much more territory than what we did and we were more or less camped on our 18 um but that still doesn't excuse the fact that in a situation where you have the ball on the byline yes you might have players closing what's the harm in hoofing it as far as you fucking can into the riverside or into the actual Thames itself if you can make it that far like I, I, I know that Silva is a massive advocate for trying to obviously get the ball on the deck and play out and obviously manipulate teams in that manner. But that's a decent point that we have literally just lobbed down the Swanee because we don't we had no urgency in the moment we needed it most. Um, and yeah, you could talk about players being worth um, eighty to one hundred and twenty million quid who are you know fully fledged internationals that 
make a statement whenever they get on the pitch. But we have those players in itself. They're just not worth that amount of money. We actually have a decent squad that should know what they're doing in situations where they just have to, they just have to get it clear. They need a crash course in that. And yesterday, it was it was a, it, it was just laughable, really. The structure that we had defensively, the way the ball pinballed about, but everybody seemed to be gravitating towards. Fernandez on the edge of the box, but nobody actually, nobody threw themselves in front of the ball, did they? Everyone kind of stood off him as he just shifted. It was a simple shift and strike. I saw nobody on the edge of the box just go, oh shit, he's literally in a striking position here. Let me just throw everything I've got here because this is a point that we can pick up here against a shite Man United team, which we deserved. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it was such a sickening way for the game to end. We're so used to it against United as well. It's like we've already touched on earlier in a pod. It's something that we probably saw coming. And that's purely because we didn't make the most of the opportunities we had beforehand and the momentum we had. Um, didn't really seem to have a purpose as we went forward as well. Um, United, as bad as they've been this season, they still have players that can can that can obviously cause problems and uh, stick the knife in when... Uh, when they when they need them to most, especially in the dying dying members of the game, and that just hurts even more because we were the better team, but we just fell to pieces when we really needed to be as strong as just and as stubborn as possible. All right, well that will do for the United review. We'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll get into a load of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast It is Sammy here with Farrell, Dom and Cam. Thanks for listening to the pod today. We're going to get into some of your questions from Instagram in a moment. But first of all, um, we should kind of react to everything that happened off the pitch yesterday. Uh, It was the Fulham Supporters Trust and Fulham Lilies ticket price protest endorsed by numerous um, kind of club fan media outlets. And Farrell, I was um, really, really pleased to see that I think this had an impact. Like, okay, there will be some people that will say that it didn't or it was a waste of time, but ultimately thousands of people got involved yesterday. There was several hundred at the march from Bishop's Park beforehand. um, And I thought that the pictures came out, looked really good. It was covered in numerous outlets and the ticket price processed on the 18th minute uh, or on 18 minutes, as I should say, really. Um, was, was, you know, a lot of people held up those cards and the Hammersmith end was a sea of yellow. And so you may be listening to this disagreeing with whether there was, um, it should, should, more should have been done, less should have been done, whether anything should have been done at all. But I think if you were at that ground yesterday, there was no way you didn't know what was happening. But I did, I was disappointed to hear that it wasn't picked up very much on the telly. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I want to pick up on that is that what, Tom Greatrex in the in the week in the lead up to it said quite brilliantly was that you know it's not it's not necessarily about it being picked up on TV and by the wider fan base but it's to show that the strength of feeling about this issue amongst the fan base is much stronger than what the club believes you know they've got they've got these the meetings with the FST every month and they you know, as I've been in those meetings, they, you know, they know that, you know, particularly the membership and the fan base um, um, are really annoyed by this, by the ticket prices, but the club don't believe it's a, as a widespread issue as, as they think. Without, there is absolutely no doubt at all that the Khans, the board 
um, should now know that the strength of feeling is very strong amongst the fan base. And this is a fan base that are stereotypically and probably justifiably a bit, you know, we, you know, we're not exactly the most vociferous fan base in, in the world, but you know, we've been awoken by this issue and, you know, there was thousands and thousands of leaflets being handed out and, you know, they ran out of leaflets. They couldn't hand them out quick enough. And, you know, now that it is clear that the fan base are angry at the club, they are angry at the way that things are going and the direction of travel and things, things need to change. Obviously you can say like, well, the protest might not do anything, but, you know, um, this is a first step that, that we can do to try and help to change things. Um, and I feel that, um, I feel that, you know, the most positive outcome that can come from it is that they actually, you know, change their, change their policy and actually discuss about ways to make things better. Um, and there is absolutely no doubt that the, the club should understand. And if they do anything that doesn't change the direction of travel, then be on their head, be it. Yeah. Um, Tom, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I thought, as you said, it was quite obvious there was something happening in the 18th minute. I've just always been, I don't know, it's probably, when it comes to protests, I think, I don't know, I feel like it's, I'm not saying you should completely disrupt the game, but I feel like that, you know, we've seen it in, at multiple clubs, you know, when I'm not saying the film should have loads of tennis balls being thrown on the pitch, but I feel like it's noticeable within the Fulham fan base, but I said it's in the, in the wider, it's depends. It's like, who, it's, it's who you're trying to, who you're trying to get the protest aimed at. I think when it comes to, you know, because if, if it's not a wider football issue, which we need the wider football fan to help us with, it's a club decision. So I think it's making the club aware without having to like, completely disrupting the game. Cause if let's say it was a tennis ball type protest and it disrupted the game, I think, you know, you're going to get people saying, oh, is that taking it too far? Because is it, you know, is affecting the game really that much? But I think, I think, I think, you know, it was, it's hard to tell from where I sit. I sit sort of similar place to Camps or towards the back of the Hammersmith end. It's hard to sort of see what it looks like, obviously going down because you're seeing it from behind everyone. But I said it was clear that you could clear, clearly see people chanting during the protest. It was, you know, it was quite obvious. But I said, I think, I, I think, you know, it's more what happens next now for me. Like, is it an action from the club? Is it another protest when we're on the Monday, Monday night football against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers? I think it's not just a singular action here. I think it's now what happens next to show how really or how successful it really is, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I think there needs to be a continuation of it if we're really going to stamp it in, if we're really going to make a, get our message across to the board. Um, I don't think it was met with any apathy from the fans yesterday. I thought most people were on board with it. Even if they were season ticket holders, they were more than happy to take a flyer and at least play their part and uh, in, in, in the spectacle what it was I mean it picked up on cameras on TV I'm sure it was there would have been a tiny little bit of spiel about what was going on I'm sure but there actually wasn't annoyingly on TNT at least and uh, during the actual game but TNT did reference it um, I believe right. quite strongly in the build up but only a fraction of what they should have done though really Jermaine Genus what can we expect mm, yeah exactly <laughs> I mean public enemy number one for Fulham eh? but it's, it's, it's true it's about it's about making a statement to the ownership and that's all it is. And the one thing I found funny yesterday, you know, as people were holding up, obviously, the um, the yellow cards, people were going, Tony Khan, you're a wanker, you're a wanker. And then literally two minutes later, <laughs> Tony Khan went down south in a full fiesta. <laughs> so it kind of just drowns everything out, doesn't it? It's just like, well, come on, boys, we're, we're, supposed, to be, we're supposed to be here saying that, you know, this isn't good enough. 
we need we need yeah. action from the board and obviously nobody is happy with the way things are even if you're a season ticket holder a member everybody can synonymously agree that ticket pricing at Fulham is an absolute travesty um, and I just think we need to hold those people accountable even if it's not necessarily giving them the uh, appreciation that they should be rightfully getting um, or rightfully not getting um, from the terraces um, yeah I, I think I think it's definitely something we need to continue at Wolves um, it can't just be left alone now it can't just be you know it, it, can't, it can't just die it, it's, it's not going to it's not going to make that we want it to if it does so yeah if we can stage another kind of protest or even continue the one that we had on Saturday then I'm all for it and I'm sure <laughs> the majority of people will be as well yeah and I, th- I do think that there needs to be a, a bit of realization a bit of realism even that that we're not gonna we're not going to expect the club to immediately go okay fine we you know we're gonna we're gonna slash ticket prices right now they are way smarter than that you know the reason why they're doing this is because their loyalty is not to the fan base as much as Shai Khan says he's a custodian of the club the people at you know the people are employed to make the owners as much money as possible and they will try and do this as smartly as possible they will try they will ignore it or they will you know, try and do it in a way that will appear that they've made, um, you know, concessions a, a little bit. But at the end of the day, they'll try and do it in a way that won't disrupt the finances of of the ownership. And they are, you know, well within the rights to do that. But obviously, that's not the best thing for Fulham Football Club. And, you know, we need to keep bank- making that point that it's not the best thing for Fulham Football Club to keep going on the path that they're, they're going down. Yeah. I thought it was particularly interesting Silver's comments um, before the game um, and the fact that journalists in the pre-United Press Conference actually asked him, I think he said three to four questions um, about, about ticket prices. And um, Silver said that uh, we want uh, them behind the team. I have em- empathy with them about the situation. Uh, also said um, he thinks... I think in, in it's, it's hard to tell exactly what he was trying to say, but I think he was trying to say that the price should be the same for whatever match because he feels like it doesn't matter whether it's Wolves or Manchester United, the tickets should be the same whatever because it's the same amount of points that we're fighting for. But then he did obviously say it's a commercial decision, it's out of my hands. And I do think, Dom, that it's that kind of thing where if I was silver, similar before the Leeds game where I thought it was a travesty that like it wasn't a sellout for the team that day. If I was silver, I'd be annoyed because you're like, this is, this is impacting the team. This is making it harder for me. If I don't have a packed Craven cottage, that's full of vociferous fans. Yeah. But I think he's, he's also, he does, just doesn't want to annoy the owners. I, I think basically he's trying to, he's trying to have basic empathy with the fans and also kind of stay on side with, the Khans as well and it's, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do I think what he said is but is basically as much as he can I don't think he's he's, he's a manager's ever really going to completely come out especially after signing a new contract like yeah I, the owners are disgraced these ticket prices are a joke kind of thing kind of thing no. um, <laughs> but he went quite far I thought I thought I, he could yeah, have easily yeah. gone just like he could have easily just gone I don't I decided I picked the team not the ticket prices I was actually quite impressed that he said as much as you he know, did it's, it's good he has said something about it but I said I, I don't think he could say any more I think yeah. that's the furthest he's really going to be, be able to say on the topic but it's good to see that there was at least questions about about the ticket price strategy mm. in, in the press conference because we, we don't really hear from anyone about it 
you know, it, you kind of guess what well, the club are thinking. Well, if it if it sells out, why should we lower them? Because I mean, that's yeah. that's common sense. It's sort of any business decision, but it's good at least it's, it, it got picked up obviously on the radio and in the print media, and then questions in the press conference as well. Yeah, Sam Matterface on Talksport yesterday did a really really um, good kind of 45 seconds on it on TalkSport during the uh, the protest. So um, yeah, big credit to Sam. Thank you for that. It was uh, really much appreciated. And like, we now know for sure that Silver knows about it. The players are likely to know about it. I'm sure that they would have noticed, um, even though the game was going on for the 18th minute, uh, or eight, on on eighteen minutes, as you as you say, Sammy. I had my brother in my ear going, "But why is it not now? It's the eighteenth. It's the eighteenth minute now." And I'm like, "Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> Just raise your bloody card in a minute's time, okay?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we all knew what was trying to be said. Um, and, and I thought, Cam, that like if there was ever yesterday and like just proof of what we are arguing and moaning about the scenes after Fernandez's goal and you see the angle that's obviously taken from the Hammersmith end. So it's directly behind Fernandez and you can see the, um, the segregation between the, where the Manchester United fans sit and where supposedly the Fulham fans should sit in the Putney end and the amount that leap up. You honestly thought it was just, a, it looks like a continuation of the away end. And you're like, this is exactly what we're moaning about. This is exactly what is happening here. And we all know it. And, you know, I spoke to George who sits in the Putney end yesterday. He said there were people in Manchester United shirts. It, it said it was absolutely widespread in the Putney. And I know that um, not too far from you, some United fans got kicked out after the goal. And it's, I'm, I'm just sick of it. And what I'm sick about, and I, I tweeted this yesterday and I'm going to bang this drum. You know, Tony Khan got the chance during, during the minutes and fine. I don't blame anyone for, for chanting his name, but Alistair McIntosh gets away with absolute murder here. He is the CEO. He is the man really responsible for a lot of this. And he just, I don't know why he gets no criticism. Any other cran base would be chanting to sack him. Like they would. And I, and I honestly think it's time for him to go. I'd say the same about a manager if we were doing shit. Well, we're doing shit off the pitch. So it's time for him to go. He's just hes just one of those annoying little spectres, isn't he, that just pops up in um, club PR photos every once in a while. And yeah, you're right. It's, it is also on his head massively too. And it was so, so sickening and disgusting to see the amount of uh, arrogant fans that were incognito to a sense. I know there were some that obviously were wearing United shirts in the, uh, in the family-friendly part in the end. But when you're actually in hammy ends, you know, an actual, actual home end, in my opinion, that has proper, proper fans um, and they're sitting there amongst us and all of a sudden they score last minute and they get up and they're as, uh, as brazen as you like. How are they not expecting home fan reaction? What do they think was going to happen in, in, a, in a situation where obviously tempers flared, nerves were fraught and... I don't care how old they were. They looked like teenagers. You know, they looked like they were a little bit green behind the ears and naive. But you've got to learn. You can't be going into any any top flight club or any club in general and um, disrespecting fans like that just because you support Big Bad United and you only go to see them once a season because you beg on the group chats for Fulham fans to get you tickets or you actually sign up as a member last season or a couple of seasons ago and, hey, presto, I've got a ticket, you know, and they deserved everything that was thrown towards them. I loved it. I absolutely loved seeing them get dragged out by the, by the scruff of the neck. It gave me a weird sense of satisfaction, a little tingle in my nutsack. It was just such, 
it, it was amazing to see. Do you know, it, it was it was kind of like a primal urge to get down there and just eat their face. Because at that point, the one thing I don't want to see is a bunch of little twerps sitting there going, yeah, no, it's a, yay, cameras out and everything like that. Get out of the fucking club, you dickhead. And I applaud the boys that went down there before anybody else did. They're literally just in their face. was like, you are a cheeky little bastard. Get the fuck out of here. It was lovely to see. And actually, I want to see more of it from Fulham fans because we are sometimes so, so passive when things like that happen. And people think we're a pushover club. People think that, oh, no, we're not, you know, we're not really passionate fans that aren't actually going to stand up for ourselves. No. Uh, and we could see it coming. I knew, we all knew before kickoff that there were going to be a smattering of United fans around us like there has been the last couple of seasons. And we've all had enough. We've all had enough. And if it happens again, regardless of who the club is, I want to see the same reaction from us because that makes a statement to the club as well, doesn't it? Surely it does. The FST see that and they go, people are pissed off with this. People are really pissed off with this Ali Mack and whoever else is actually sorting out the ticketing. Something's got to change. Why aren't we making it more accessible to our fans that actually want to be that and will share collective, you know, emotion instead of instead of setting the cat amongst the pigeons like those dickheads did? So that's all I've got to say about it because I'm going on a massive tangent now and I don't want to go <laughs> on anymore. Uh, I, I, as you were going through that, I could see. I could see that look on Sammy's face of like, how am I going to edit this one? Um, this particular <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I'm not touching it. <laughs> um, just to touch on all of the things, well, not all of the things, the latter part of what Cam was saying as well. I feel like, you know, Alistair McIntosh a few years ago, when, when this ugly policy started to be integrated into the club, that he said, quoting, I would like nothing more than the stadium full of Fulham fans. We now know that as it's a complete lie because they have set it up so that it's not going to be full of Fulham fans. It's just full of fan, you know, football people who are wealthy enough to buy a ticket. Otherwise, we would they were trying to introduce things to make sure that it is just Fulham fans, making them affordable to making them affordable to all Fulham fans, making them available to fans or friends of fans at least who'd be able to bring them on people who might be you know might be converted to being a Fulham fan but what we have right now is that season ticket holders are second in the queue to buy tickets for big games like this they first allow members to buy tickets and that's anyone who with no booking history with no um you know no clear tie to the club has gone, oh, I want a ticket for for Manchester United. I just need to spend £50 on a membership and then pick up my ticket. And, you know, they might, then people might say that therefore that that ticket is affordable, but there are, you know, let's be honest, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of Manchester United fans around the world. There is surely going to be a higher proportion, you know, a proportion of the, their fan base. That's probably the same as Fulham that are wealthy enough to buy, to buy those tickets. Whereas Fulham, we have a ceiling. Let's be honest. We have a ceiling on the amount of amount of fans that we actually have, but to go, you know, to look at Craven Cottage itself, it is certainly not, it's not large enough that there's going to be spare capacity of, of Fulham fans at the moment. So therefore, you know, they've priced out their own, our own fan base and the fans that are getting tickets is at the expense of Fulham fans itself, which goes against exactly what Alistair McIntosh said. So, you know, either, you know, either that he's, um, he's naive or, you know, he's, 
thinking that this is the best policy about it, or he's lying. And you can make up your own mind about which, which one that is. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's the world's easiest thing to do. It's not rocket science. I'm a Manchester United fan. I'd like to go to the Fulham United game. Okay. I think they make sure that you have to buy a membership. I think before they go on sale, all you need to do is in August, get a membership. It's it's the world's easiest thing. It's not rocket science. It's not there. Like you've got to like crack a code or hack the dark web. You just got to buy a membership in August and you literally are front of the queue. There's no loyalty points. There's no check as to whether you're a Fulham fan. It's a joke. And you're here and like people might be like, oh, you're being really harsh. No, I'm not. It's not difficult. It's really, really not difficult to put this into place. You've literally got a loyalty point system, but you don't want to use it because they make so much money. They make so much money out of people having to spend 50 quid just on a membership in order to get to the front of the queue to buy the tickets. Why would they stop? Because they make so much. But you have to. If you care about this club, if Shahid Khan cares about this club, if Alistair McIntosh wants to stick to his word of wanting a Fulham Stadium full of Fulham fans, they have to change it. They have to change it. Or he has to be sacked. One of the two. I don't care. I'm done. Right. Let's come on to some questions because um, <laughs> we could go on all day. Uh, lots of them on, on this topic, to be fair. But um, let's let's go on to, uh, I quite like this one. Just, 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 let's just change it up. Let's change the subject completely. Austin NC852 asks, if you had to pick one former Fulham player to add to this team, who would it be? Don Betts. Louis Saha. Yeah, oh my God, he's back, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> job done. Job done. Job. Finishing top four. Yeah, job job done. Job done. Um Elliot Jefford, I didn't come on to this. Thoughts on putting Bobby out wide and moving Wilson to the top? Actually wasn't what I was expecting him to ask there when I put this question. Um Dunno. I mean, scored two good goals for Wales, but I feel like that really is desperate, Cam. Yeah, I mean he's played through through the middle before, of course, but he's far more effective out wide, isn't he? And he looked pretty good yesterday, despite the fact that we couldn't actually forge any proper chances. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't necessarily tinker with it that much. Um, and like you say, scored two great goals for Wales, one of them through the middle as well, where he just burnt the defender. Um, but no, I, I, don't, I don't think that's something that we should necessarily go for because uh, Wilson's doing just fine out wide. So leave him there. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with the tactical system. We just don't have a striker who can put the ball in the back of the net. That's, I don't think there's anything actually wrong with the system we've been we've been playing. It's similar to last season, except except you don't have a twenty goal a season striker in there, pretty much. Yeah. Um Gleechi says, Farrell, we will stay up, I think, but are we looking at a relegation battle this season? We've got another game <laughs> to come against Villa. We're not we're not gonna win at Villa Park. We're going to lose at Villa Park because we just are. And I'm sorry, that sounds downbeat. Um We've got Wolves, but then Liverpool. There's just difficult games littered in. There are some winnable games in the next kind of five or six, but there are also very difficult games. I, I mean, they are, there is some dross down there. Sheffield United did pick up their first win, though, yesterday. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that those teams will go on a run of form. I still think Burnley have a, have a run in them at some point, despite them being in an awful place at the moment. I agree with Gleechy that I think we will stay up, but you can't be scoring nine goals in 11 games and be feeling massively confident. Yeah. And um, I think we've got the second joint lowest uh, amount of goals scored already this season. Um, yeah, it's nine. Uh, only Burnley have scored nine. fewer on eight. Oh yeah. Last season was remarkable, but we did finish mid table. It wasn't like 
seventh or eighth. It wasn't like a truly remarkable season, but last season was a really good season. But we still finished mid-table, you know, and that's great. And that was wonderful. That's fantastic. And we were pretty much safe uh, quite early on, a lot earlier on than we have been in a lot of seasons when we did stay up. And we're only just a few places below that now. So it's not like a complete disaster, but, you know, the direction of travel isn't isn't great, but, you know, I'm still feeling pretty pretty comfortable. Obviously, getting goals will be absolutely imperative to that. But yeah, you're right in saying it only takes like, you know, a couple of the bottom bottom teams to start picking up more and more points. And that's definitely going to happen. Um, but we are only 11 games into the season. And so that means there are 27 other games to go. We've still got to play every team in this in this league. So there are going to be some difficult games. There are going to be some better games. I feel like what's the pleasing thing is that the teams that we should have beaten this season, that we have. Um, and we've picked up some really decent couple of points away from home from places that from teams that are quite frankly better than us at the yeah. moment. So, yeah, I think there is there is uh, this element that we might be in a in a relegation battle. And to be honest, I think the way that the league is and the and the position that Fulham are in, we're likely to be in a relegation battle. You know, if we stay up this season, we're likely to be in a relegation battle maybe next season, but obviously not in deep deep trouble. Um, so I think I think we're okay with the position we're in right now, and there's going to be some tough games. But I think every game is going to be pretty tough, and I I don't I don't feel like there has been a performance this season apart from the Chelsea game where Fulham have looked really bad. I think apart from that, we've been competitive in every single game so far, Brentford. even though some of the some of the score lines I've I've ignored that game completely. You know, um, <laughs> but. Um, we weren't uh, even bad in the Brentford game though. Like it no, ended up three 0 but like we've like really were like screwed over by the red card and Diop making yeah. a mistake. Like I, I I do agree with you. There's no games that we're looking bad, and I think that's why I think we'll be okay. But like I'm also just seeing nine goals scored, and and then look, you look at it right now. We've we've got a seven point like cushion already. Like it's incredible that we do. We are blessed to be shit in this season. If, if we're going to pick a year to be crap in the Premier League, I think we found the right year in, in amazingly. Um, Tom, I just wanted your thoughts on this as a, uh, as, as a Rangers supporter and obviously someone that's seen much more of him. Um, thoughts on Bassi so far. I think that like, I mean, it's quite clear that he doesn't have a right foot, but I'm, I'm still just like mostly impressed with him and, and he loves a good run up the pitch. Well, it's, I mean, um, I don't know why people were surprised he's when you're playing a left back at right centre back. Yeah. I don't think he's. A, I don't. I still don't even think he's a centre back. You know, for me, he, if if he's left to a three, then yeah. But every, all every time when he put in man match performances for Rangers, whether it was in the run to the Scottish Cup final or the Europa League final, he was playing left back or even left wing back at times. He it, maybe if it's it, it then maybe switched to a, a back five. He played left to a three and then allowed the wing back to bomb on. But he's never played on the right hand side before in his career, probably. And I think you can you can see in moments where his quality is when he's making challenges and you see as he's driving up the pitch, but he's just playing out out of position. Like it's it's not he's it, it, playing a left. I actually think playing him on the left and maybe I know Ream's not got a right foot either, but Ream being the more experienced centre back, you'd you'd hope he'd, he'd adjust to it more. But I said I think for for considering he's playing so far out of his, his natural position, I think he's fine. But I still I still think he's a a left back who likes to bomb up off the pitch I've not really I know he's he's a very physical player and that's why he, he can do a job at centre-back but every time he's put in great performances it's always been on the left-hand side 
over, overlapping with a cut with a winger cutting inside, which is what Willian does. So I and I I will actually when what, what, if with Diop or Tossing come back soon, I wouldn't. I'm not against the idea of seeing how he performs at left back for for Fulham really, seeing how we could link up with William William cuts inside him bombing on up and down. He he probably doesn't have you know the a, 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 a great cross on him, but I said he's still a young player, and I think I just think he's been sort of pushed into this team out of position, and he's doing as best as he can. But I said it's it's, it's basically it'll be like you know playing a a right back at left back like if you play Anthony Robinson at right back he's not going to play he's not going to play a great game is he so I think it's yeah for me I think it's just he's doing the best he can playing in a position he's not really played before um, I think that'll do for today's pod um, thank you for all your questions that you did put in via Instagram a lot of them we'd kind of uh, got to beforehand um, Farrell what would you like to go for as the podcast name I would like to really annoy you by putting United against ticket prices um, as the pod, as the pod name, <laughs> just, to- uh, just to throw you that one. But uh, um, I, I veto but, that. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I've got to go for Londinium Callings Deja Manu. Very good, very good. Okay, well that will do for today. Thank you very much for listening, uh, Farrell Monk. Thank you. Thank you very much, Don Betts. Thank you. It's all right. And Cam Ramsey, thank you. Nice one. Cheers. Jack will be hosting the Thursday Club later this week with Dean and Coops will be back this time next week looking back at our game at Villa Park. Have a lovely week, whatever you're up to. Come on, you whites. You whites.